Okay, so here we are. Look, it's the RTE Soccer Pod, and this week we're joined by RTE Sports' James McMahon, uh, football writer David Sneed, and uh, former League of Ireland star Conor Byrne. Um, look, I suppose it's been a, a busy weekend of, of a long weekend of fixtures, uh, especially in, in the League of Ireland Premier Division. Um, James, I suppose we'll start with you. We'll give us a maybe a roundup of how you saw the week, a busy week in Irish football. How did you see it? Um, it was a week of some change, Ed. Um, a week end where possibly Derry had the chance to extend their lead at the top of the table, but uh, now there's only one point between themselves and Shamrock Rovers. Uh, it was a weekend where Shamrock Rovers, I think, showed some form of German efficiency in the way they're playing. Uh, you would have to say they were very comfortable winners over. Uh, St. Pat's on Friday night and were comfortable enough last night in only winning by one goal to nil against uh, Dundalk. Um, yeah, Derry have had a bit of a blip. They've had a bit of a wobble. They'll be looking to get back on the bus against the students on Friday. Uh, Bowes uh, got back to some sort of uh, happiness last night uh, with their 4-1 win over um Shelburne at Tonka Park and there was an interesting stat last week uh, Ed about goals that prior to the games last week that if the league table was done on results on 60 minutes Bohemians would be top if it was done on results from 60 to 90 minutes Bohemians would be bottom so that stat may have changed now on on the back of their 4-1 win yesterday Uh, also as well Sligo deservedly beat Finn Harps they've had a bit of a wobble uh, three losses out of four. Uh, Pats left it late to beat the students, uh, 90th minute goal. And just moving into the first division, um, it would seem that it's Cork and Galway uh, at the top. Uh, Galway had a priceless win over Waterford on Friday. Uh, Cork beat Waterford yesterday, and there would seem to be pressure on Ian Morris. So uh, that would be a kind of a recap of the weekend action in the first and premier division great stuff james and i suppose i have to pick i'll go straight to you david you were at the game for us on a friday night between rovers and st pat's comfortably beaten uh as james mm-hmm. has been, how do you take that on david mm-hmm. were they comfortably beaten yeah it felt that at the end it was a comfortable one nil like pats had a good chance in the first half on doyle at the back post but like James was mentioning there, maybe a bit of, what was it, German efficiency. I'd say it was a bit of, this weekend will be summed up by a bit of brilliance from a lad from Ballybock yeah. and Ballymun. <laughs> um, yeah. Just like, if we talk about, like it's already looking now, it's going to be Rovers and, and Derry seem to be pulling away and out the top. But if you're looking at two players who are the beginning to develop a bit more of an understanding, like you look at that goal that Danny Mandrew scored last night, just sensational really just in terms of like Colin will appreciate it as well in terms of making those runs I know he was a bit more central but knowing when a midfielder has the ball and knowing when to make that run like Danny Mandrew was on his way before Jack Bourne even has the ball under control because he knows that if he makes the right run he's going to be found and Jack Bourne knowing now beginning to get that understanding with Danny Mandrew knowing that he has those runners off him because that's what he needs especially as the season goes on like he needs those runners off him because he's capable of finding those passes but on Friday against Pats, like it just felt as if Rovers were in, were in kind of toward gear a little, a bit. But that the goal they got, Rory Gaffney, 
like it just summed it up again because it was Jack Bourne and Mandrew again. Jack Bourne playing a little slow ball at the pick out across, and you just get the feeling that if, uh, I don't think Rovers are going to be relying on those two players as the season goes on because their their squad is just so strong. But in moments and in games when maybe it could be a bit tight, I think those two are could be the the difference as as the year maybe than a lot of uh, others in the league, you know. Great stuff. So we'll get the we we'll get the Rovers in a, in, a, in a few minutes. Colin, I might just bring you in here in terms of just looking at two teams who there was a lot of uh, focus on at the start of the season, um, with Pats being one of them, and I suppose Dundalk being the other. New management, uh, but still with strong, strong squads. And I suppose we're looking at the managers. Um, are they getting the best out of them? And, and how are the new managers doing in their roles? Uh, a good chunk of the season passed now. We get an idea of where we're at. How do you see the two teams? Um, how would you rate them, I suppose, Conan, the, both management and the team? And, and um, I suppose, are they getting the best out of them? Yeah, look, I think Tim had a bit had a bit of a tougher job, if I'm being totally honest. He's come into a squad where on the back of winning an FAI Cup and finishing second. So there's a lot of expectation there amongst the Pats faithful. Um, but they've lost a lot of players. They've lost Lee Desmond, which has been probably the biggest loss in, in terms of one player leaving um a League of Ireland club. And um, he's been a big loss at the back. I looking at the game yesterday between between UCD and Pats. I really do felt th- um, I th- I thought they ran out of ideas. If I'm being totally honest, and it was only when UCD scored that Pats started to up it, and they started to really try and break down the the, the UCD rearguard. And um, luckily they got the penalty. Obviously, on Doyle missed it, but Ben McCormick, another up and coming star, with a fantastic finish to to make it one all, and then just to score it. The type of goal that you that Joe Redmond scored in, in they're the ones that you need to, to get over the line at times. And um, I haven't been mightily impressed with Pats this year, Ed. If I'm being totally honest with you, um, I wouldn't put it down to Tim. I think it, when a new manager comes in and new players, the likes of Mark Doyle, Owen Doyle, um, Joe Redmond, who's, who got the winner yesterday, um, and you're relying on on young players as well, like Dara Burns, to 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 come up with key key moments in a game. And I suppose that's where where if Dara Burns is, is to improve that little bit more, I'd love to see him in at that back post to, to score the tap-ins. We we know he can score from outside the box with his wonderful finishes. He can dribble, he can create chances for players, but I still think he needs to bring goals to his game. And um and just being at that back post for crosses from the opposite side, I think he'd score five or six goals, easy tap-ins every year, but that's not happening for him. Um with Dundalk, then <clears throat> I think it's a it was more of of a trend, definitely more of a transition from um, from an outside point of view for for uh, Stephen O'Donnell. He's brought in a lot of players from um, from England and Wales. Um, Nathan Shepherd has been a magnificent signing. Lewis McCarry as well has done really really well at the, at the back. Um, thought he should have covered Danny Mandroyo's run yesterday. Um, having said that, but um, that's just small things. Um, so I do think Stephen O'Donnell will get away with a little bit more than Tim. Um, given the fact of the the success that St. Pat's had last year, um, having said that, I still think they're doing okay. They're sitting in fifth in the fifth in the league. Um, they're only a point off four place Sligo, who, as James said, have have only won three or have only won one in the last four. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, I still think it's a, like you're saying it's a big chunk, a chunk of the season is gone. I really don't think we'll, we should be looking at the table on, on, until the next round of games finishes, even the, 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 the third round. And um, yeah, and we'll see how that goes then. David, let's just come back to you on this because uh, just just get your interest, get your own viewpoint on on how it's going. Especially Stephen O'Donnell, as you said, as, as Coleman mentioned, you sort of get the idea that it was more of a of an easier transition with his own history at the club and, and that sort of thing. Now, up at the game last night at Tala, I spent a lot of time watching Stephen on the sideline. He was very active on the sideline, yeah. very much. I don't know if he's still trying to get his point across or if he's That's really. A way of saying it. Yeah, very much uh, eager to make sure that everyone's doing their job, everyone knows their job. And um, what struck me, I suppose, from they, they did play nice football, but they were sort of lacking that that man in the middle of the park. I suppose someone like himself who would would control the game for you. Um, mm. what, do you what do you think, David? In terms of what, like, he looked to me, look, he looks as always working from the back to the front in, the, in yeah. that sense. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think I spot on and. Like you can only, I suppose, if you're looking at it from O'Donnell's point of view, if you look at the body of work he's had so far, you can only really go off paths because obviously that was the first job. I do think there's very, there's a lot of similarities in the sense that, like with Pats when he took over, like he got them solid. Like he also got a couple of yellow cards on the touchline, just in terms of he was very energetic on the touchline. But it does seem as if he comes in and he builds from the back up, which I think is the right way to do it. Because if you look at, I can't remember the exact the exact stat now, but like they struggled for goals big time in that first year under under Stephen even when he came in towards the back end of the of the, the season when he got the job after taking over from Harry Kenny it took a while to get go, get going and it strikes me as that it's the same similar pattern with with Dundalk where like they've had a fair few clean sheets I think like six or seven clean sheets they've only conceded up until the other night he had only conceded a couple of goals and in, in about seven or eight games and they were they were penalties um and it, it just strikes me like you mentioned there about having that player in the middle of the park. Like I thought with Pats, things really kicked on because of Alfie Lewis. Like I thought Alfie Lewis was sensational. Like Conan touched on it. That's probably part of the struggles that Pats are going under now because maybe they haven't got that Alfie Lewis type figure where they're then able to get, say, Chris Foster up the pitch. And I think with Dundalk, that's maybe what they're going through now a little bit where it's building blocks. And it's the smart, I think it's the it's a smart way of doing it, I suppose. It get them, get everyone kind of solid. Get get your shape right. Know what you have to do in terms of not conceding, because he's probably understood that they needed to, to have that because they weren't going to be hitting the ground running. So, like I, I would be of the opinion. I think I think Dundalk will get stronger as this season goes on. Because if you look at it as well, what happened with O'Donnell with Pats? Obviously, he came in at the towards the back end of the season. Then he had a COVID hit season where it was reduced, and it was only really a first full season last year where you really saw just the progression. And now, and we, I think it's a bit too much to be saying that they'll challenge possibly uh, Rovers and Derry. My own instinct on it would be: I think Rovers, as the season goes on, will, could just be far too strong just in terms of strength and depth. But I would say the science. So far, if you're a Dundalk fan, you, you can see the work that O'Donnell is doing and you already have an idea of the calibre of what he's capable of because he's what has shown us, Pat. So I think if they have a strong finish, maybe do well in the cup, I think it bodes. Not that you can already write a season off, but you can already see that come next year when there's more investment in the team as well, that he, he'll definitely have Dundalk up there challenging 100%.
Great stuff. And look, moving. I suppose moving on, Conan, you were up in the draw had a match last night against against Derry and a great result for the home side. But looking at Derry, I suppose uh, specifically, a disappointing Easter weekend for them. Um, seeing that they're leader, the comfortable leader at the top being being there. Uh, Almost, almost wiped out. Con, what do you make of their of their performance over the over the two games? It must be they will be disappointed at the end of it, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I think fr- Friday was a big one for them, um, Ed. Considering the fact that when um, they got the second, got well, it was chalked off or offside. And I think that's the difference between between Brendan Clark and Lewis Webb. If you had a, noticed the goal that McJanet scored up in up in the Roy McBride Brandywell Stadium on Friday night to put them two on ahead. Brendan, you could see Brendan Clark throwing his arms up into the air, jumping around. Linesman put up his flag. Referee didn't consult his linesman, and the referee and it was chalked off for offside. I don't think any other goalkeeper in the league would be doing what Brendan was doing. It just shows his massive experience that he has within the league, and the goal should 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 have been given because McGonagall, where he was standing, wasn't in the line of sight of Brendan Clark in the in the in the Shelburne goal. Um, now you could twist, turn that around and say Akintunde handled the ball for his strike in the, in the first half. So um, it's, it's a kind of case of two, two potential uh, huge goal um, opportunities. But yeah, it, he'll be disappointed with the, with the manner of the, the defeat on, on Friday. Um, Brian McManus comes in and, and has a wonderful strike on guard side. He didn't move his feet at all for the strike. And um, if he did, I think he would have saved it. And with obviously I was ahead in the game park there last night and again they went 1-0 up and they really should have went 2-0 up Ed, Ed, Akintunde had another wonderful chance to score and I was really really impressed with, with James and, um, yesterday in, in the game his link up play his hold up play his strength his awareness for the pass but the one thing he lacks is goals he doesn't score enough goals for a striker and that's that, that's really really uh, it's really hitting Derry and with McGonagall on the bench he had Matty Smith up front who was obviously hasn't started the season because of injury and he's only trying to get in now. So there wasn't goals in that Derby City lineup last night. Um, it took an, a shot from outside the box by Joe Thompson to put them in the lead. And as I said, if Akin Tunde had a, had a scored that chance to make it 2-0, I think it would have been game over. But in fairness to Trotter, I thought they were excellent, um, especially in the second half. Gary Deegan was, you could hear him from the four corners of the ground, dictating play, telling people where they should be. And that's what you need. You need leaders in a team, especially like Trotter, where, where they're going to be down in around sixth to seventh, eighth position in, in the table to try and push them up the league. And um, yeah, I thought it was a, a really good performance. And Ryan Brennan making his first start of the season as well with, with another goal. And again, you're looking at Shelburne and you're wondering why you're um, letting go of someone of Ryan's experience and, and goals. Draw to take him and already he's, he, he's got two for them and um, he'll score a lot more for them as well. So Derry will be very disappointed. But as James said, they have UCD this, this weekend. So um, it's going to be a big, big game for them because they'll really need to take the three points. Great stuff. And I suppose now everyone's watching Rovers. Um, you know, they've, they've come into two tough games at the weekend and, they, and they've come out of it unscathed. They've come out with six points. And not only that, they've also come out of it with a team that's starting to look as though they're starting to click. Um, every, every, every game, I suppose, you, you want someone to stand up and, and take this game with a scruff of the neck. And last night, it seemed to be Danny Mandro who... Looked, he looked sharp from the opening minutes while others were a little bit, even Jack Byrne well, took his time to get into the game. Some of his passes were, weren't finding their targets. And then, but obviously, as, as we mentioned earlier, the second half, the two of them combined and, and that relationship was really starting to build. 
But also you've got players like Neil Ferrugia coming on, looking totally at ease and comfortable in that position and showing the competition that's there for Rovers and the strength in depth. So David, do you, you spoke earlier in terms of you, you, you think it's going to be Rovers Derry. Do you think Derry will have the, the capacity to, to, to sort of to, to match Rovers for the, next, for the next round of games at least? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they've already shown in, in, in the fourth round of fixtures especially, like they've shown that they are more than capable of winning games in different ways. Like they, they've got a bit of flair about them, obviously, like wheel patching and, and all the rest of it. But they can also they can also grind it out a little bit too. Um, it's just, like obviously some of the injuries they've already had, like Michael Duffy, obviously, which, which, is, which would be a big one because you're looking at it in terms of a game, game changer and a winner at someone who can pull something out, out, out of nothing. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a big loss. Obviously, Patrick McElhenney hasn't really got going. Like, yeah, you know, like I sort of watched watched Dirty against Shelbourne earlier on in the season, and I'd say the most impressive player on the pitch was actually Brandon Cavanagh. Like, he was really really good. Like a player, and you if you look at it, slight tangent, but if you look at it from a manager, especially like in any league, but like sometimes you need to see something in a player. Like obviously. He has a lot of talent, but Rudy Higgins clearly sees something with him, and he was just very, very sharp and very, very just direct and positive. And if he can, if he can maintain that as as the season goes on, that kind of stuff, I don't know. I just think that kind of like filters around a little bit as well. Like, listen, Collins, Collins far better placed to uh, talk about what that can be like in terms of when you can get a feeling amongst a, a new group of players and when things begin to kind of I don't know click for a team. But I think. I kind of think, and to be honest, I hope that Derry can because we've seen about it. You, to be honest, like the, the best team deserves to go on and win the league, but you want to see a proper challenge. You want to see a team properly put it up to Rovers and bring more out of them because you kind of get that sense that like there's so much in that Rovers team, and if they're if they are challenged properly, you want to see them. What you want to see are brought out of them. Like you mentioned, Andreu there again. Like, like you kind of forget. Like Stephen Kenny's already had him in around that Ireland setup. For the training camp uh, last summer, like he's a player he wanted to have a look at, and it's a player who kind of we continually talk about. Well, he just needs to have that focus. It's almost as if that's the narrative that's around Andreu is he has to have that focus about, about football because he's got so much, he's got so much ability, and he really does. Like, and that's a player who you could be looking at. I think, and is that someone we talk about Jack Bourne? But is that someone who would have a future again playing and playing for Ireland? You forget, like I know, kind of. We're talking about like Dirty as well, but you kind of forget as well with, with Mon, we're talking about Mondreo. Like when he was at Brighton, I remember doing an article with him a few years ago. Like Brighton wanted to keep him. He was the one who forced his release to get out of Brighton because he was just he, he wasn't ready for that, the rigors of what professional football was. And he he seems to be getting that now at at Rovers. And if you look at what Dirty are doing, I would say with Rory Higgins, like he's trying to you almost get that sense that he's getting that out now of Will Patching. Where Will Patching spoke about very uh, honestly there in an article uh, with the 42, he did a piece with Paul Fennessy. He was very good talking about how he'd been in that system with Manchester City from such a young age. Then he goes down the leagues to Notts County and it's a move that just doesn't work out for him. And even at Dundalk, it just didn't really work. But he's someone at Derry now who is beginning to flourish a little bit. And that, become, that comes obviously from a manager who has so much faith in him. So if we're talking about if Derry can... If Derry can put it up to Rovers properly this season. Will Patching is obviously going to have to be absolutely instrumental. And there could be a little subplot there in terms of how he does, the likes of Mondreo, even Jack Bourne. Because it's just, it just 
you see it, there's these talented players who are in the league and can make those differences. And it's just going to be very, 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 very interesting just to see how, how that, that little rivalry, I suppose, develops as the season goes on, because hopefully they will be the two sides challenging neck and neck for that for that title for right up until the, the end of the season. Nice one. Yeah, I suppose just in terms of the of the of the weekend, the long weekend, and just in terms of two other teams, James, that were maybe coming in probably unnecessarily and uh, and uh, a bit unfairly coming in under a bit of pressure with Bohemians and Sligo. Um, James, there was talk of both managers being under pressure, but both managers obviously came out with good results on Monday. So you'd imagine, you know, and they're both they're both very well placed in the league table. I, I don't see where the the pressure was necessarily coming from, but. Uh, what do you think? It's been a good, it was a good, it was a good day yesterday for for both managers, James. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a good day for Keith Long, and I think he spoke afterwards about you know them converting the the chances you know that was coming their way and, and things clicking for them, and things did click yesterday on you know on on the back of their on the back of their four one win. I think people giving out or maybe having questioning Keith Long is a bit silly. I mean, what he's done over the past three or four years at Bowes has been quite remarkable. You know, between the turnover of players at that club, getting them into Europe last season and playing some really nice football in Europe. And, and people must remember the football that they did play at the Aviva in those games. Um, switching to Liam Buckley, you were talking earlier about managers being animated on the sideline. Uh, Liam Buckley never seems to get animated on the sideline with any time I've, I've watched him. And perhaps maybe it might be any harm if he was a little bit more animated. Speaking to a few people up in Sligo, I think there are a couple of rumbles about, you know, about Liam's position. I don't, I don't think they're loud rumbles or anything like that, but some of the, I'm not sure whether all the supporters are, are, are happy. But this is, a, this is a crucial couple of weeks now coming up for Sligo because last season, I think on the 24th of May, Sligo were top of the table. I think they beat Shamrock Rovers 1-0 in Tala that night. And after that, then they went into a bit of a slump. And their performance in Europe against that Icelandic team was quite tepid. Um, yesterday, they got a vital win against Finn Harps. It just gets them back, back on track again. I mean, they are fourth in the table. They've got a home game against Drogheda on Saturday night. And then they've got a home game against Shamrock Rovers coming up on Friday week. So um, I think there will be a little bit of pressure going forward on Buckley because with Europe coming as well come June, July, the expectation is this year that hopefully Sligo will get past that first round in in Europe, you know, and do and you know advance in the competition. Um, I think the injury to Keener possibly hasn't helped them either, and Greg Bulger being out as well. But there is one player, and you're talking about players maybe been having a sniff around the Irish camp. I think Ed McGinty in the Sligo Rovers goal has been excellent all season. You know what I mean? I, I think he is one of the players uh, of the season so far, and possibly maybe in the next couple of months there is a chance that he could be on the move but to answer your question Ed I mean I think Keith Long first of all Keith Long I think is doing an excellent job at Bowes but the acid another acid test will come on Friday night with their with their that clash against their old rivals uh, at Daily Mount. Yeah absolutely and uh, Stephen Kenny's spoken about Ed McGinty before and he's very aware of him and uh, mm. you know so as is Jim Crawford in the under 21s well, speaking of Liam Buckley, Conan, uh, you know the man very well. What do you make of James's assessment? And uh, I imagine he had his, his had his animation moments when he Maybe was. Yeah. And uh, looking, I suppose looking from afar, how do you think he's getting on his side? He's, he's there enough. Of a, he's there long enough to, to have made a, made a mark, I suppose. 
Yeah, yeah. The, those uh, animations were few and far between. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> he was um, always a glass half full type of person. Even if we were three 0 down at halftime, he always felt that we'd come back and win four three. So, um, but yeah, look, I don't mean to. Put, I just think Sligo winner are in a false position for the players that they have in their dressing room. They went to top of the league, um, and everyone is thinking that yes, Sligo's the year. Sligo are going to compete. I, I really never thought that they would, and. Just let me just go through the, the 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 team for a minute, just to explain my reasoning behind that. I think like they've signed Will Fitzgerald from Derry City, who wasn't getting the game. They signed Carlo Sullivan from from Finn Harps. Both of them are regulars and doing really really well in the Sligo team because they suit Liam's style of play. They signed Aidan Keena from a League One team in Scotland, who wasn't scoring many goals. They brought him in and. He's doing particularly well. They brought in Paddy Kirk from from Longford Town. Like I'm not saying that these players aren't good enough, but these aren't players that have won anything or have been close to winning anything. So it's very difficult to throw them into a side that can go on then and compete at the top end of the Premier Division. Now, yes, they do have, the recruitment has been, I think has been very, very good signing Nando Poinaker. He's been an absolutely superb signing. Jordan Hamilton, he just seems to, to, to fade in games. He starts really, really well. Brilliant left foot in him. Great in that, again, in, in Liam's team in that 10 position. Um, and also Max May is scoring a few goals as well recently. But to suggest that they should be challenging at the top and for Liam's job to be under pressure because of that, I think is bizarre. Um, I think they're getting, um, they're, they're, there's talk about budgets as well. The thing with Sligo, um, Ed, is that players don't want to go there. And it's, um, I've, I know personally four, four or five players that, have, that were asked to go down that, that, were, that Liam tried to sign and they were just they didn't want to go down to Sligo, so they went went to somewhere else. They went to Dublin clubs or, or up to Derry City. So, that's the problem that you have um, down the west coast of Ireland, um, like the likes of Galway as well, and and Cork City. We reading John Caulfield's book, he had the same problem trying to get players down down to Cork. So it's not just about um, not signing players; it's trying to entice them to, to to that part of the country, which is proving difficult for for not just Liam. But a lot of managers down the west coast. Yeah, Conan. Also, as well, Conan. Sorry to cut in. You like back in the day, like with clubs like Sligo and Galway, all the bulk of their players were Dublin based. So, like you had you had players coming up and down from Dublin, and that really wasn't ideal going forward either. Sorry, Conan. Yeah, I was just going to say, just picking up on that point. It's a shame to hear that about players that wanting to go to Sligo because. Sligo is almost unique in the country that when you walk around Sligo Town, it's a football town. It's a one club town and you know it's rovers. Mm. <laughs> it's rovers in Sligo. And it's, it's it's a place where players would actually get adulation and recognition. And they don't probably players don't realise that because you know, anyone who has gone down, like players like Danny North and stuff like that, who've gone over there and settled and you know, really become part of the part of the community. And it's a, it's a, it is a great football place. So that's a shame to hear that. And on that as well, Anthony Elding. Anthony Elding still lives in the town. Obviously, FAO mm. Cup winner. And it's interesting. He he actually did. Johnny Kenny was doing one-on-one um, sessions for Anthony Elding in a park in Sligo because they live near each other. I remember speaking to Johnny before he went over and signed for Celtic. And he was explaining how like he, went, he would see Anthony Elding around the place. And Anthony Elding does a bit of coaching around the town, apparently now still. But the two of them would work together. And even on the point that Colin was making, it's so true. Like, there is a few Bob and Sligo, obviously it's renowned about the kind of fundraising that goes on there, but also because of the European run and the money that's there now as well. 
like Liam Liam tried to sign Jack Bourne before he came back like Jack remember spoke to Jack before the season and they had a conversation about going there because he felt you know what like everyone thought it was a foregone conclusion that he would end up back at Rovers and obviously like the relationship he has with Stephen Bradley and all the rest of it and the fact that he was there previously you could see it was a perfect fit but like even Jack Bourne saying that like when someone like Liam Buckley was was getting in touch he said he felt he had to he owed it to him to at least listen to the to him what he was offering and what he wanted to, to do but ultimately it was a case if he wanted to remain in in Dublin I was saying it's just another example where that was that's the kind of that's the kind of caliber of player that Liam Buckley was trying to get in at the start of the season and how he was trying to challenge but ultimately I don't think it was just the case if he didn't want to go to Sligo because obviously Rovers, he just felt Rovers was a better fit. But it is just another challenge that sometimes like a club like Sligo has to has to deal with. Conan, did you want to, did you want to quickly reply to that? Because I just want to ask, move on to chat about Shelburne. But yeah, well, yeah, I just think it's an important point as well that the 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 way Liam plays his his football, it's on the ground, and the Sligo Rovers pitch hasn't been up to scratch. At all, it's been absolutely horrendous. Being being completely honest, and there's it's no surprise that they got they only picked up one point from from nine in their last three home games as well, because that's the way uh, Liam plays. And talking about as well, James' point about the lads coming from um, down from Dublin. I think I was talking to Conor O'Grady last week, and um, the academy director down in Sligo. And there's a lot of up and coming players coming up through the Sligo ranks, and it's important now that they get they try and, and get through into that first team to create that like, bit of local aspect to, to the club. I think that's very, very important. Well, that's, yeah, and, and I suppose one thing that Liam Buckley did was he moved he moved himself down to Sligo, which would, would have been very, very well received down in those parts. But speaking about other managers who are in, in, in profile, you know, everyone's joking about Damien Duff's Shelburne this year, but uh, obviously the fact that he's there at Shelburne is bringing a lot of attention, and rightly so, but he, he must have had such a, a crazy weekend, Conan. Just I'll stay with you here on it. Um, to, to get the result he did on Friday and then to come crashing back down to earth on uh, Monday, it sort of shows that the job's still very much a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. It is, Ed. Um, the problem with Shelburne is that they're conceding the same type of goal over and over again. And I think I counted, I, I could be more, um, but I've counted at least seven goals where Shelburne have had position, uh, have possession of the ball in their own half, lost it, connected, the connectivity around the back three hasn't been good enough, the opposition team breaks and they score. And that's the frustrating part. And I noticed Damien Duff even, obviously he realised that, I'm not, gonna, I'm not stupid enough to think that he doesn't, but he mentioned it in his uh, post-match interview after the game yesterday that they're conceding the same types of goals, but yet it's still happening. And I think other managers are starting to realise that the, realize this so let, let's just I, i'd say if i was a manager or a coach of an opposition team i'd sit back i'd let the, the the back three of shelburne have it and once it goes into any player in that midfield i'd be pressing like mad to win the ball back because seven goals already and there's been about four or five set pieces as well no team have broken down shelburne by one touch play and getting a ball into the box and a header and a goal it hasn't happened like that so they're 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 working really hard the back three are doing really really well um, but it's just it's their Achilles heel at the moment, Ed. Is that is that losing the ball in uh, in that central midfield position, and um, the teams breaking away and scoring? They're not scoring enough themselves. Their away form has been has been absolutely superb. Obviously, the win in Derry was magnificent, um, and their home form has been really poor. And um, they're they're going to have to look at that. 
really much, uh, very much so. And I think they need to bring in an, um, a goal scoring threat as well because they don't score enough goals in, in, at the top end of the pitch. Yeah, David, I suppose just pick up on that on that point with Conan um, the defensive frailties. And I remember the opening game of the season, uh, Pats had a couple of chances within the first five minutes. The, the defense were all over the place. But like Joey O'Brien is there to to help Damien. You'd, you'd imagine that that would have been a very uh, focused area. So maybe is that, maybe it's just a, it's taking time to get going. Would that be you know, or is it or is it really uh, that frail? Do you know, it, it's just basic mistakes. I don't think it's just simple, very, very simple stuff. Like Conan mentioned it there. Like I, was at, I was at the match. I was actually at that fourth game of the season against Pats when it was just a square ball across the midfield. And then, and in fairness, Dara Bournes in that game, still a lot to do. It was a world-class goal where he cut in. But like yesterday, like you could sense the frustration on, on the touchline with, with Joey O'Brien and, and, and Damien Duff like... Uh, they were about, we were, you were being polite earlier about um about Stephen about Stephen O'Donnell and touchline. Let's just say let's just say the two lads were vocal on the touchline. And I can only imagine what they were like in the dressing room. But like I was speaking to Duff after the game yesterday, and he held his hands up a little bit and he because he made the point, he said, Listen, the goals are coming from when we're trying to build a play. So was like, he says, Maybe listen, maybe we're the ones who are actually giving the players the wrong information here in, in terms of how they're set up and what they're asking them to do. And like it's a point maybe would they possibly be mixing things up a little bit now in terms of how they are building up? Because like yesterday, the goals were appalling. They really were. Like Shane Griffin giving the, like a tying pass out uh, in such a vulnerable position straight away, lean boards onto the ball, and he still has a bit to do, and he still gets a bit fortunate, but they're punished. The third goal, I say the third goal as well. The fourth goal was was horrific too. JJ Looney giving that pass out. And then just easily intercepted. But then it's still, Liam Bourke still has a bit to do. Like he goes around JJ Looney. He was only on the pitch a couple of minutes, but it looked as if Looney was the one who'd been like trudging about for about an hour and an hour because he just had no legs. Like Bourke went around him as if he wasn't there. And then he still done well to kind of cut through the defence. And then there was a bit of luck with the rebound falling to Junior. But the tour goal, I thought was interesting because moments before it came, Junior had been put in down that side as well, got down on the right side of where the, where the back three would be for Shells. And fired a shot across goal, went a little bit wide, but they hadn't learned that lesson. A few moments later, there's one simple pass through again, and then Chris Twardig actually has a bit of composure, cuts inside and scores. And th- th- that would be the killer for, for Shelbourne because they've done well. Like Sean Boyd's got a great goal to get them back into the game. They got themselves back into a position where, and maybe it could just be to do with an overhaul of players and a new team still, you mentioned it there, taking a bit of time to gel. But they got themselves into a position where they were beginning to actually look a bit strong in the game, but they weren't able to kick on and they weren't able to manage it, the game a little bit and like have maintained that superiority. Like Bowles, bit by bit, edged themselves back in. And like even for Bowles, who've conceded three goals after the last, well, it was three goals in the last four games after the 88 minute to give away points. I think once they got that toward goal, you could just sense the kind of the belief sap out of shells a little bit because they did really struggle when the onus is on them to build up and kind of just create from, say, going back into the midfield and then and obviously into the final tour, they just struggled. They really did. And I think I don't, I think they have to try and adapt a little bit to, to mix things up, especially at home, because the longer it goes on without a win, it's going to be, it'll build and build. Like, like Duff made the point that he actually had them train in that Talca Park the day before the game yesterday because he, want, he wanted to get them back into, onto the pitch and have a bit of fun and 
get a bit of like release a bit of the tension because he felt as if they've been trying too hard so like they're away isn't it they're away to Dundalk on Friday but um, and you wouldn't put a pass and to go there and get a result but even just to maintain that little bit of positivity that has been building because the crowd at Talker Park was great yesterday they just need to kind of get a win soon and just get that monkey off our back a little bit I suppose I suppose Conan uh, just in terms of following on to that point um, and what something that might take a bit of pressure off the likes of Duff and Adrahala are the, the fact that UCD are already eight points down uh, off of safety uh, Finn Harps are now five points away from Shelburne so there's a there's a chance by halfway through the season unlike last season where you know that that promotion playoff place was was still being uh, fought for um, there's a chance that some teams might be able to ease off in the second half of the season if current form continues with Finn Harp struggling and UCD uh, looking like the Longford of last year I think Trahada would be okay. As I said, I've seen them a couple of times this season and they have a lot of leaders in their dressing room that will get them through games. Like yesterday, for instance, with, with the likes of Gary Deegan, uh, Ryan Brennan, Georgie Poynton came on as well. These are leaders that you, that you need in your dressing room. And um, I've mentioned that Bowles, I, I felt, hadn't hadn't really had that um, this season at all. Um, but yeah, like you look at UCD and I think we've all said it, that, that we, we felt that they'd finished bottom. It's looking that way at the moment. Um Conceding two penalties this this weekend as well hasn't helped the situation. Um, going one 0 up against Pats, it's all about trying to hold on to the three points and at least one. When that when when you score with twenty minutes to go, um, against St Pats and that that wasn't to be. But on UCD, I, I I'm fascinated by their front three. Um, Ed, if I'm being totally honest, I think if you used to put their front three in nearly every other, um, Premier Division side. You're gonna do very, very well. Mm. Um, I think Dylan Duff, um, Dylan Duffy has been ap- absolutely brilliant down the left hand side for UCD. Liam, we all know about Liam Kerrigan and Colin Whelan as well. Um, and these, and obviously they're gonna leave in the summer. Um, well, Kerrigan and Whelan are because they're they're finished their their studies in UCD and they have to go. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who's gonna come in, um, to try and take the mantle from those two players because, um, they are big, big losses to them. Um, with Finn Harps. I was so impressed with them at Talca Park a couple of weeks ago when they defeated Shelburne. Um, they were really, really good. They had two or three chances off the woodwork as well um, and tr- and three good goals from their point of view. Um, and I've been disappointed that they didn't um, push on from that. Um, but I'd be, I'm would be i not going to say I'm going to worry about Shelburne. I, I won't. I just They need to eradicate those simple errors that are, that are causing all those goals. And if they do, they'll be fine. I don't know whether it's a case of that it's the player, the players themselves in that central position aren't good enough? Or is it a case they're taking too many touches on it, which I feel that one or two of them are in that position? Um, they should be aware of their surroundings and one touch passing in around that centre of the park to, to try and get themselves up the pitch quicker would be more ideal than trying to hold on to it and use their strength um, to, to get away from other players, which obviously isn't working for them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's back to the drawing board for Damien in, in that regard. But I like, I still like... I still like the way that he still has his, his his the way of playing. People might call it naive, but I I think that if you have a philosophy, you stick to it. Um, and he's and that's what he that's exactly what he's doing. And it could be just the fact that the personnel in there that are giving the ball away aren't uh, aren't up to it. Grand. and look, I suppose teams who are probably eyeing that spot, maybe two spots in the Premier Division next season, uh, those front runners in the First Division. James, we had, we had a quick chat about the First Division earlier, but mm. just in terms of the, 
one thing that disappointed me yesterday and it highlights the fact that it's a nine-team league was that Galway weren't playing and you sort of wanted to see how, you know, if they could match Cork City's uh, performance and, and result and stay, you know, say neck to neck, neck and neck with it. But uh, it's turned out to be a, a good battle there, James. And not only yeah. that, teams like Longford have, have games in hand. Waterford, you expect still to have a say in it as well. And also as well, Treaty treaty are up there as well so yeah like i mean it's very fascinating i always think ed i, I have a problem with odd numbered team leagues i mean uh, surely we could, could we get a, a Kerry team or a castlevar team or some somebody into the league there uh to even things up yeah like I mean, galway, galway on friday night they went down to waterford i i can i spoke earlier about german efficiency i think they were uh, quite efficient in grinding out a one nil win and likewise, uh, Cork got the better of Waterford yesterday, 2-1. So at this juncture, it would seem to be between them two, Cork and Galway, uh, as to who's going to top the league. But yeah, look, I mean, that's a look, the is it is it down to fifth or sixth in the first division that could end up in a playoff, you know, at, at the end of the season? So like there's still a, an awful lot to play for. I would even say to exclude Cove and Athlone out of it. Um there's, I'd say for the seven teams there, like obviously the top two, but there's five other teams that could be fighting for those playoff spots. But the interesting uh, thing would be uh, the fact that Waterford's form hasn't been great of late. And there's perhaps some rumblings as to whether Ian Morris, not that he's going to get the boot or anything, but you know he's probably under a little bit of pressure at the moment. Well, one team, I suppose, over the last seven days that really caught the imagination were the women's uh, national team and an amazing performance and results over in Sweden. What did you, you make from the, the game at the week, the international game? Did you get to see it? And do you think Vera Pell needs the National League te teams to be producing at least the squad players for her? Yeah, look, I watched it with the two girls. Um, they're keen footballers themselves. So um, I thought it was a heroic performance, especially from Chloe Mustaki, if I'm being totally honest, um, given her, their, her history of injury and an illness as well to, to come into a, a game first competitive game like that and to perform the way she did. I thought it was, I thought it was absolutely extraordinary. Um, thought Katie McCabe, Denise O'Sullivan as usual were, were very, very good, but Ruisha Littlejohn in the center of the park, I thought was the unsung hero. I thought she was absolutely magnificent in the game, just sitting in front of the back three and were, were, were was absolutely excellent. Um, mopping up the play whenever she could, because she was up against some absolute stars and black Stenius as well. Who was, who was a threat all game. Um, but the most important thing to take from this now, Ed, is that they go into the Finland game and 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 get and get a positive result. They they need to now because the, after the performance in Sweden, it's such it's such a heroic performance that it was that it'll mean nothing if they don't go on now to to defeat Finland in the next game. And I know that people are talking about putting opening the Aviva and and stuff for like that. I I I'd, I'd I'd run a mile from it, Ed, being totally honest. They've created this atmosphere and surroundings at Tallis Stadium and captured the imagination of, of thousands of young girls and the, the camaraderie they have with them after games in Tallis Stadium is, is, is huge and it's, it needs to be kept in Tallis with the, with the atmosphere that's created there. The Aviva Stadium is 17,500 in that lower bowl and the no would would we get 17,500? Being honest, I don't think we would. We've only had f over 5,000 twice at women's, at women's international games um, ever and um, I think if we pack out talent make it a cauldron of noise the atmosphere will be incredible and and who knows what, what what we can do but I think a positive result against against Finland is is a must now after the after the, the draw last week in Sweden. 
Okay, so then we might just run through the Women's National League results. James, do you have them, do you have them handy there? Again, gone by the games uh, at Lone Town, the leaders P-Mount won away, or the joint leaders P-Mount won away 2-1 at Athlone. Wexford had 5-1 win, winners over Cork. Uh, scoreless between Bohemians and DLR Waves. Shelburne, joint leaders, had a 2-0 win away to Galway. And Sligo up to fourth in the table after their 3-1 win at home against Treaty. Great stuff. So let's just cross the water for a moment. Um, big weekend in England uh, with the FA Cup semi-finals taking place. I suppose from Liverpool and Manchester City's point of view, probably the lesser of the three uh, things that they they look that they're putting the focus on. Um, especially with the well, I think the FA Cup final falls a week before the Premier League finishes up this year. Correct. So yeah. Can't be ideal for Premier League chasing teams like Liverpool and Man City. Conan, would you think Man City are not too disappointed to exit the competition and put the focus on, uh, I suppose, what would be a great double. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we we knew that from the the starting eleven that that Pep put out. Um, having Stefan in goal and obviously Zinchenko as well. I think Liverpool focused in on on Zinchenko more so than anything else. I thought the high press down down Man City's uh, left hand side was mm. was particularly noticeable throughout the game. They didn't let. I don't know. The thing is, I don't know whether it was a case of letting the ball go over. The, they didn't want Alexander Arnold getting um one v one against the, the who like whoever Grealish or or Foden whoever was on, on that side. They just want. I think the focus was to try and pin them in and that left full position so that he couldn't he wouldn't be exposed because against Man City, obviously they focused on that right back area with Milner last year and then obviously with um with Alexander Arnold um at the Etihad so. Um, I, I really enjoyed the tactical battle. And I know Lisa Fallon was on this show last week and, and, and was talking about the tactical battle between Pep and, and, um, and Klopp. But I think Klopp certainly came out on top on Saturday and it was a, a magnificent tactical performance, especially in the first half um, from Klopp. But I think with the formation and the, the, the team setup that Man City put out, I think um, Johnny Giles was right in saying that his, his, the eyes were elsewhere for, for Pep. I think it's a... I think the Champions League is the holy grail now for Manchester City and um, I think that's that's where the pressure will be and let's see what happens. I suppose we, we, we need to mention the other semi-final, David. In terms of, one thing that's impressed me recently, for a, for a club like Chelsea who've been under pressure for oh, various amounts of reasons without having too much sympathy for them, um, you know, I was very impressed with the reaction that Thomas Tuchel has shown since that game against Madrid, where they were well beaten in the first leg, he, you know, he called his team to a meeting. He called them, took them to task, and he, and I think they came out of the weekend in the Premier League. They, they annihilated some a team. I can't remember which team it was. Southampton, sixty. Then they came out again, and then they took Madrid, took Madrid on in the second leg, and he saw a much better version of them. And I suppose they got a bit of result, a bit of a reward there at the weekend to qualify. Get into the semi, into the FA Cup final. Um, what do you make of the chances? Um, I suppose you have to you have to give it up to the plucky underdogs, Chelsea. Fair play to them. Yeah. So well. <laughs> um, now, like, do you know what? Right, if you look at Tuchel, if you go back to the start of the season, first of all, their chances like they're they're well capable, obviously, of winning the FA Cup and and, and beating Liverpool, of course. Um, but I think Tuchel. We hear so much about kind of say modern coaching, and it's clear he's a fantastic coach. But I think as a manager and understanding situations and being firm, but also being right and correct, 
from the start of this season with how he dealt with all that Lukaku stuff early on in the year and and keeping the show on the road like a weaker manager that could have led to a dressing room I don't know bit of mutiny perhaps or it could have like given a lot of players a lot of reasons to to not reach the levels that they did and don't get me wrong they had a little it's mad like they had a little bit of a blip around Christmas time I think it was any other year any other time of football that's it's yeah you're gonna maybe drop back just the levels of City and Liverpool are at basically that put paid to them being in the title race because it looked as if that that was going to be capable but Tuchel has proven and I think as much as being an excellent coach like Klopp and, and Guardiola his management and his man management of situations and how he deals with getting certain messages out there, like what he said after the Real game and people were having a pop at him in the media when he said the toy was dead. And clearly he's not going to be giving that same information to the players. There's no way he was. And if you look at the performance they put in against Real Madrid and, and how, how close they came and what a just fantastic game that was. But I think as a manager, like people would have looked at him on how he managed things at, at PSG before he came in and, how difficult a scenario that is and clearly had something about him. But I think a lot of people would say as a manager, he's really shown not just as a coach, but he's such, just such a top, top class manager and could go into any situation. They were talking about, looks as if Man United are going to obviously go for Eric, Eric Tan Hag. And there's a lot of debate about, well, is he a great manager or is he just one of those coaches who can work brilliantly within a certain framework? But if you look at Tuchel now and I think, proven he's already won the, the European Cup it's the, it's the trophy obviously that Man City want more than any other because that's what that's why they got Guardiola um, but he is in that bracket and it'll be interesting to see what does happen at Chelsea in terms of who the preferred bidder becomes and, and what happens and you would expect and I could be wrong but you there's bound to be a certain element of destabilisation coming out at Chelsea because of obviously the Roman managers everyone was pretty much like even though like managers would change that foundation was in place. It's going to be different now. And it'd be very interesting to see where Tuchel goes because like, I just admiration for him as a manager, and especially that sort of, but, but labor in the point, but how we dealt with that Lukaku scenario was just a top, top class. Really, really good. Certainly is. I suppose look, we're, we're just coming to wind it down here and we have just, just enough time to have a quick look at the Premier Division fixtures for the week ahead. Um, We've got obviously the big game up in Dalyman Park, Bohemians against Shamrock Rovers. Derry City, as we mentioned before, have a relatively straightforward task you'd imagine against UCD at home. St. Pat's take on another struggling side, Finn Harps, while Dundalk um, will take on uh, Shelburne up in Oriel Park. The Saturday game sees Sligo take on Drogheda. Uh, Conan, what's your standout game and what are you looking forward to this weekend? I suppose the Dublin Derby is the well the, the Dublin Derby. There's all Dublin Derbies every week, but um, Bowes Rovers obviously is a big one considering how after the fantastic performance yesterday and Keith Long speaking about that he felt that this was coming, um, can, given the fact that the, the concession of late goals defend, defensively they it has to be looked at. You know he, he I think Rory Feely needed a break yesterday. If I was being totally honest, um, he's been at fault for three or four goals over the last number of weeks. I don't like singling out players, but um, I think that he's been particularly poor in certain games and in certain late stages of those games as well. Um, and he obviously he, he took, gave him a rest yesterday and and um, they, they, they got a four and win. So I don't know if he'll, he'll start on Friday. Rovers, on the other hand, two one nil consecutive one nil home victories. 
their third one nil um, victory home victory of the season as well. So they're really really impressive, and I'm glad. David noticed it earlier on. I think everyone was admiring Jack Byrne's pass, but the run from Danny Mandroyo uh, was absolutely sensational because um, he went so early yeah. and Jack needed all Jack needed to do was play the pass. It was a tremendous pass to be able to see it, but um, it was a fantastic run. And I, I do agree that that uh, with David as well, that they're, that they're only in third gear for most of their games. There's, there's plenty more gears left in them. And look at the bench that they have, the, the strength and depth, like James has, has talked about as well. Um, so it'll be a fascinating game um, at Daily Mount Park next week. I think um, Derry UCD as well, I think everyone will expect a home win there, but I think everyone expected a home win last Friday night when Derry took on Shelburne as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes, especially now with, with only one, one win. One um one point from six this weekend. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. Um, and then Dundalk Shelburne, another tactical battle between two very tactical managers with, with O'Donnell and Duff. And again, Shelburne's away form being being really really good and um taking on um O'Donnell's Dundalk. So yeah, it's going to be a, a really interesting um games coming up this weekend. I'm really looking forward to. It. I'll probably head to head to Inchicordo to watch Pats and Finance. Of course, mm. <laughs> just on that note, David, uh, Bowles will have the confidence of scoring four goals with Rovers' confidence has been slowly building over the last few weeks. But as we know, form goes out the window in this one. So, how do you see it going? Um, I'm looking forward to first of all, I'll be covering the game for RT online. So, um, well, as much as looking forward to having a bag of chips from the Old I just think, I think that the the win for Bowles yesterday will do them the world of good. Just in terms of a bit of the confidence, like Keith Long spoke about the negativity that maybe being around the club a little bit has lifted slightly. But hopefully, a Bowles will be talking about going out the window. But I really hope that Ali Coote, Liam Bourne, oh, Liam Bourne, Liam Burch, Chris Twardick, and continue how they start build on on yesterday because they were really really impressive as a as a front three. Now, I think Junior. Or if it's promised on a share, who will start? Like, I don't know, it'd be one of the other, like, even though Junior got his goal, I thought at times he actually, there's times where things maybe broke down around him a little bit. But it's just it's just shaping up really well because, as, as you've mentioned earlier as well, Ed, like, kind of Rovers are beginning to click a little bit. Like, it's one of those games where it just feels like such an occasion. Like, the, like the attendances around the league have just maintained, even past the first maybe few weeks. It's something that normally happens where even post-COVID and all the rest of it, but there's, it's just been a solid throughout the league and you always expected that balls and rowers, but it's just one of those games where you go to and it just feels like a proper a proper occasion and a, and, a, and a bit of edge to it and hopefully the quality will match it on the pitch. So really looking forward to that on, uh, on Friday and then hopefully when I get home here in the Pats of 1-5 now. You're hoping, <laughs> you're hoping, am I getting this right, you're hoping both win, but you're sitting on the fence in terms of predicting the results, you know? No, I, don't, I actually don't mind who wins. Like, like even though, like yeah, my allegiance is might be known to say, as you Colin mentioned earlier, a good past contingent on this podcast at the moment. But um, like mm. it's one of them where you just when you go, obviously you switch into work mode when you go to a match, but you just want to see a good game, and that's what you expect. Like it's there's so many good players on the pitch going to be on Friday with, with Bowls and Rovers, and you throw in that little bit of edge to it as well, and and what's on the line, and it's just it's when the top players in the the caliber will, will shine through and. I think that's what maybe will give Rovers the edge. But why yesterday's performance for Bowles was so important was if that had been a disappointing run, 
I don't think it would have been too long before crowd could have turned on balls and things didn't go well. But I think now the game that's in it, it's just primed to be absolutely brilliant. It really is. Alas, we can hope for a good game, but generally the meetings between the two teams provide pretty poor fare mm. um, from a footballing perspective. James, you killed the build-up, Ed. You killed the build-up. Also as well, Ed, I mean, obviously Derry, Derry will be hoping that there's a stalemate or maybe a bow's way that they can regain that little bit of cushion at the top of the table if, as expected, they beat UCD on Friday as well. And hopefully as well, uh, come Saturday night, Ed, that the pitch up in Sligo is a bit better. I think the weather's getting a bit better now. So hopefully by the time Shamrock Rovers visit on Friday week, that the pitch is in pristine condition. A bit of Saturday night fever, Mike, Liam Buckley, dance yeah. on the sideline. He could be, yeah, yeah. He could be channeling his inner John Travolta. So <laughs> there. So. Well, on that note, lads, fair play. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, David. Thanks, Ed. Conor Bourne and James McMahon. Um, thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you.